0: Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Cindy Kuzma and Maggie Umberger. Morning, Gina.
1: Morning, Gina. Uh, this is Cindy. And Maggie and Gina, you guys have some pretty exciting stuff happening at a Sweat Life this week, right?
0: We sure do. We launched a Kickstarter this month. Our goal is to raise $20,000 with the help of anyone who's ever benefited from anything that A Sweat Life does, from the podcast, to the ambassadorship, to the events, to the content. We're relying on people who like us the way that we like them to help fund a growth project. So we're working on expanding our ambassadorship, which helps incredible women here in Chicago right now set and achieve big goals and support each other along the way. And we've seen such magic happen. Right, Maggie?
2: So much. I mean, the past year of getting to know all of our ambassadors really well and get to see them actually accomplish goals, um, we've done a little bit of a survey to ask people, what have you actually accomplished and would like to share with us? And we were really overwhelmed with how many people said, like, I finished this degree. I've been accepted into this program. I have written a book. I have, you know, bought a condo. None of them necessarily like fitness goals, although those are always peppered in with the things that we do. But life goals and the way that people attack their goals in the gym are the way that they're attacking them in the rest of their lives and other aspects of their lives. And it's been really fun to watch that happen and to kind of get to support everyone along the way.
0: And so if you want to support that growing network, check the link in the show notes and honestwildlife.com. Awesome. But on the same note, Catherine Switzer is a big achiever who sets big goals outside of the gym and inside it. Wouldn't you say, Cindy? I
1: would say that is absolutely the case. She is one of the pioneers of the women's running revolution. And I was so thrilled to get to speak with her. She was the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon and that's a race I've run a few times myself. So what an honor to speak with her and how insightful and open and honest she was about her experiences. So
2: when I listened to to your interview, Catherine's passion for running made me want to sign up for a marathon and I've never thought that I would want to run any kind of distance before. But the the way she talks about her fuel for life and everything she goes after and how she has used running to help her tackle her goals outside of running, it sounds infectious to me. And she talks about that being like her secret weapon. Can you talk a little bit about that experience for her?
1: Yeah, I mean, her dad encouraged her to start running a mile every day when she was 12. And if you think about someone encouraging you to do something like that, that you didn't think you could do when you were 12, and then you did it every day. And you kind of gained this physical confidence in yourself, and you navigated your preteen and your teenage years, and you just really had this feeling that, hey, I can do this thing that I never thought I could do and that no one else thought I could do it really would just give you that power to think that you could do anything. And that's what it did for her. And she believes that running can be that secret weapon for so many people. And it's a gospel that she preaches. You'll hear her talk about, especially in these sort of divided times, how running can really bring people together in addition to bringing confidence to each individual. But we heard her speak Gina and I went to hear her speak at a lunch for the Midtown Educational Foundation later the same day that I interviewed her and she also talked about the fact that everyone has a secret weapon it might not be running for you it might be running for you Maggie you might have to try it Uh, but uh, but whatever it is there is something that you didn't think you could do and someone gives you the opportunity to do it and you do it and you take that with you and it's just a matter of aligning the opportunity with setting that goal and accomplishing it and thinking about that carrying over to the rest of your life.
0: And what's incredible about seeing her speak is how energized she is still to this day about the cause of women running and about how women who run can change the world. When she started this, when she took up the Boston Marathon, she was in her 20s, and today she's in her 70s. Can you talk to me a little bit about how she's staying energized or why she's staying energized?
1: Yeah, running, she says, gives her energy. You know, people who who don't run sometimes think running makes you tired. But once you sort of tap into that secret weapon of it, it really does give you energy and fuels you. But it's certainly her motivation to to do all the things that she does has changed in the 50 years that she's been doing them. When she first started, she had something to prove both as an individual and as, as a woman who wanted to show people that women's bodies could handle the distance of of running the marathon and she was instrumental. You'll hear her talk about this as one of her biggest goals in getting the women's marathon um, into the Olympics, which happened in 1984, which is not very long ago, which is just crazy to me. But now she still feels the same energy and passion, but her motivation has shifted a little bit. Now she feels a responsibility. She started this nonprofit, 261 Fearless, which is based on her number from the Boston Marathon, not because she thought it would be a good idea, but because of what she was hearing from women out there who were motivated by her to continue spreading this movement.
2: 261 Fearless. It gives me chills to hear her talk about it in the in the episode and I'm sure all of our listeners will also feel that same way. So here is Cindy with Catherine.
3: I'm just reaching for a goal. Don't
1: be this is Cindy Kuzma, and I am here with Katherine Switzer on the We Got Goals podcast. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Oh, Cindy, I'm so glad to be here to be with you and to talk about so many really great things that are going on.
1: Yeah. So, Catherine, you are here in Chicago. Welcome to Chicago, first of all. We're here at the Midtown Educational Foundation's Metro Achievement Center for Girls. Could you tell me a little bit about why we're here, why you're here today?
3: You know, I was asked to speak today to a big fundraising luncheon for the Midtown Educational Foundation by a friend of mine who knows me through running. And he said, your goals, your persistence are so similar to what this foundation is all about. The more I heard about Midtown Educational Foundation, I really, really wanted to do the speech. So I'm grateful for being here. It is a wonderful organization that addresses the needs of low-income average students with a mentoring program. After school where these kids can get the tutoring and the help and the encouragement both for character development as well as academics to make them exceptional. And I'm so pleased to be a part of that because we all need an opportunity in life. That's what my speech is gonna be all about. It's all about very similar things to my running career where I began as a I would say less than average runner, a no talent, and worked really hard and trained really hard, and then also saw in the course of the way inequalities that existed for women and it developed into an entire career and life goal. So that's why I'm here to take those similarities into another area, which I'm very excited about. Talk a minute about
1: how it all began. You are known for so much now, but this started in 1967 when you signed up as KV Switzer, you pinned on that bib 261 and you became the first woman officially to run Boston and you finished the race that day, but but you almost didn't because of what happened with Jack Semple and how he tried to pull you off the course and those photos are just astonishing still and I'm sure you've told this story a million times, but I I think it cannot ever be lost to history. So can you tell me one more time and how you reflect on that moment now?
3: Yes, first of all, Cindy, it didn't start with pinning on a bib for the 1967 Boston Marathon. It started when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. It started with a dad who encouraged me to run a mile a day. And so I grew up running a mile a day, playing on the field hockey team in my high school. I was lucky to have a field hockey team. And I had an incredible sense of empowerment from running this mile a day. I mean, every day I felt like I had, you know, a secret weapon, a magic that nobody could take away from me. Um, and what a way for a little 12-year-old to grow up and go through all the crazy behaviors of, of high school. It was just amazing to have that under my belt. So by the time I was 19 in training for the Boston Marathon, I, I felt like I could do anything. That's also why I'm here in Chicago, as you know, to talk to the Midtown Educational Foundation people and their donors and to let them know that every kid out there just needs some kind of encouragement. If my dad hadn't started me with that mile a day, probably I would've discovered running much later and I just hate to think if I hadn't just picked up that one thing that he said, run a mile a day, my life would've been so completely changed. Anyway, so here we are. Now I'm a student at Syracuse University I'm working with the volunteer coach. He's not even the real coach at the university, who was an ex-marathoner, who was really ancient. You know, he was 50 years old. And to me, I was 19. He took me under his wing, and we were just jogged together every day. And, you know, one mile became three miles, became 10 miles, became 15. And then I told him I really wanted to run the Boston Marathon. And he didn't believe a woman could do it anywhere at any time. And I, you know, said, hey, come on, there's been about six or seven women who've run marathons, you know, with no fanfare, and there was a woman at Boston, Roberta Gibb, who jumped out of the bushes the year before, and she ran. Well, he exploded in rage, and he said, no dame ever ran no marathon. He just couldn't believe a woman could do it, even though he was so so caring about me and believing in me. And so he, he challenged me and said, if If I showed him in practice that I could run it, he'd be the first person to take me, which again, what an opportunity. My goal was always to show him, his name is Arnie Briggs, that I could do the distance. And so in practice, one day we ran 31 miles. I told him, we're gonna keep going another five miles. And he fainted at the end of the workout. Then he was utterly convinced, an absolute evangelist, and really helped me sign up for the race, insisted that I follow the rules to the letter I was a card-carrying member of the Amateur Athletic Union. You have to sign up for a race. You have to pay your entry fee. You have to get your medical certificate. You have to get your travel permits. It was a real nightmare of, of organization, right? And I kept saying, well, there, you know, no other woman has done that. And he said, well, that's, they should have. These are the rules, and there's nothing in the rule book, and there's nothing on the entry form about gender. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, we're pushing a point. And he said, it's not on the entry form. Mm-hmm. So I signed my name. Of course, I signed my name, K.V. Switzer which was another amazing coincidence. I signed my name that way because I wanted to be a journalist and I thought, uh, and also I wanted to be J.D. Sollinger. (laughs) If you want to know the truth, it's embarrassing to say. But my also because my dad had misspelled my name on my birth certificate. So it was always misspelled and I got tired of it and I started signing my name K.V. Switzer. Anyway, it changed history because officials thought it was from a man. So the whole incident at Boston was really about wearing a bib number. Roberta Gibb was also in that race and she was not bothered. The official was furious because I was wearing a bib number and he thought I had pulled a fast one over on him and he attacked me in the race and tried to pull that bib number off. I mean, he was out of control. I mean, I'd never seen anybody so angry and it was out of the blue. So it kind of caught me completely off guard. it was, I didn't panic, but I certainly tried to get away from him. <laughs> and my coach was screaming, leave her alone. She's okay. I've trained her, and my boyfriend decked him. <laughs> and so I, you know, at that point, you know, I had that, that horrible moment of sinking fear and dread, and I thought, should I get off the course? Have I done something terribly wrong? And then I decided if I do that, they're not gonna, nobody's going to believe that women can do it. So, I've already got myself in enough trouble, I'm gonna just finish this race, which was a really amazing decision for a 20 year old to make under fire like that. And then I got really angry and I said to my coach, I'm gonna finish this race on my hands and my knees if I have to, because I was so uh, determined that women were no longer marginalized. And I hadn't felt political at all up to that point. Mm-hmm. I, I thought other women just didn't get it, you know, how important fitness and running was. And suddenly it all came down like an avalanche. And, you know, we had lost a lot of adrenaline and had to push through. Marathon's hard enough. And your first one at Boston, for God's sakes. The cool thing was this, is that all the guys were wonderful to me. Every guy who was around me or who passed me or who I passed said, you go for it, we're with you all the way. It was terrific. Mm -hmm. I'd like to fast forward for a minute on that note because I might forget this. Right now, in this era of sexual contentiousness, I think running stands is such a beacon of gender equality, of motivation, of non-judgmentalness. We're out there to support each other, not as males and females. We're out there to support each other as runners. And I don't know who you are next to me, sir, uh, what color you are, what race, what religion, what language you speak, and I, but I'm going to hug you at the end of this race, and I, and I trust you with my life. Mm-hmm. And... Where else are we going to find that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so running can help everybody so much. Yeah. And we've learned so many lessons from it. And we've seen this sport transform our major cities. But anyway, back to the race. <laughs> you know, So I finished, in, and the rest is history. As they say, I di- was determined to become a better athlete. Mm-hmm. And I was determined to create opportunities for women and so a life plan was laid out in front of me.
1: Yeah, I just looked back at, at your memoir and reading about that event again, what struck me in addition to that emotion of it, the fear that, I mean, I can't even imagine being at the beginning of a marathon and dealing with all of that, was that realization that you seem to have right then, like the sense of your life purpose to, to show other women that that they could have the secret weapon, that they could feel this sense of physical accomplishment that seemed to have guided everything that you've done since.
3: Yes, but of course, you know, first of all, I I wanted to finish the race because I I knew also, if if I stepped off the course and didn't finish it, I'd regret it my whole life. And I am said, I'm I'm already here. I mean, how am I gonna get home? It's sort of like many runners say I couldn't quit because I had to get to the finish because that's where my clothes and my watch and my money is. You know, that's the joke part of it. But it, it's true. You know, the other thing is you can't, you can't run a marathon and stay mad. And so by Heartbreak Hill, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd even forgive an old jock Semple. You know, he's a product of his time, an overworked race director, you know, what the hell. But I was saying, why aren't women here? And that's when the realization came that they needed the opportunities. You know, I wanted to prove it for them. But it was then I realized you can't blame them for not being here if they've never had the opportunities. Nobody understands what they can do unless they have those opportunities. Mm -hmm.
1: Hey, it's Cindy, and we'll get back to my interview with Catherine in just a minute. But first, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Chicago Sport and Social Club. With them, it is more than a game. It's a social sports experience. And hey, maybe running isn't your secret weapon. Maybe it's beach volleyball. There are a lot of reasons why you should play. You might want the feel of sand between your toes. You might want to meet people. Or you could just want to move your social life outside for a season. Whatever your goals are or your reasons for playing, Chicago Sport and Social Club has a beach volleyball league for you. You can do like Catherine does and create a team of all women You can grab a group of coeds or you can sign up as an individual and get set up with a team. However, you go about it, if bump, set, and spike are the words that punctuate your summer, you will want to register around the league built for you. To do it, go to www.chicagosocial.com and use code GOALS. That's G O A L S when you register. You'll get 5% off now through March 15th. And now it's back to our interview.
3: just reaching for a goal
1: so don't be upset when i'm not a friend. so what we typically ask on the we got goals podcast is about one big goal that you've achieved and how you got there and i mean you have so many to choose from i wonder if there's one that stands
3: out to you as being a primary accomplishment for you yes for much of my life a big goal a life goal was to get the women's marathon into the olympic games mm-hmm. i felt if we could do that we could level the playing field completely And in many ways, we did. When that happened, I said, that's it. Take me, God. I can go, you know. I was young. I was only 33 years old. And and we did this. And we got the women's marathon into the Olympic Games, you know, less than 10 years after this getting official at Boston. So that was incredible. We worked five years to get women official at Boston. That took place in 72. And then the inclusion into the Olympics was voted in in 81 for the 84 games. But... Life throws you some funny things. Who would have ever believed that in my 60s, my bib number, 261, suddenly becomes this kind of cult number, this magic number, meaning fearless in the face of adversity. This is a number that has only been three digits to me. and never had any resonance, except for the fact that it was my first bib. And suddenly people are saying, this number makes me feel fearless. you know. And the reason is, I suddenly thought, is because everybody relates to a story. Like mine, in their own way, they've been told they're not welcome. They've been told they're not good enough. They don't belong or they're the wrong race, color, whatever. And then they run and they do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And they become fearless. And they were wearing it on their backs and inking their arms with 261. And the letters and the pictures were coming in. What am I going to do with this, I said. Finally, when people started sending me pictures of their tattoos, I realized I had to do something with it. It was more than kind of synchronicity. And we formed a nonprofit called 261 Fearless, where we take the simple act of putting one foot in front of the other out to women around the world who have no opportunities or are fearful and show them that they can find their fearless. So it's sort of like, in a funny way, it's like the mentoring program here at the Midtown Educational Foundation. It's like, I'm going to take you, Cindy, by the hand, and we're going to put one foot in front of the other. We're going to walk, run. We're going to forget all the junk that went on during our day and our week and our lives just for an hour. And you're going to find you fearless. And you do. It is magic. Running is transformational. It changes our lives in fundamental ways because it gives us a s- simple sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So 261 Fearless has launched a series of global clubs where individually in, in different communities, towns, woman by woman's, community by community we're showing them just to get out and and run and move together we have a wonderful training program where we train the mentors the coaches on how to create a non-judgmental environment which is the the toughest part learning to run is the easy part Mm -hmm. being non-judgmental is not easy for some people also we have a wonderful communications program at 261 fearless.org website where women when they join 261 fearless also can have a closed portal and talk to each other sometimes in life you just need to know you're not alone out there and women can come in and say hey i'm from saudi can i talk to you from canada you know or hey i'm in iran and and i'm running alone and i don't know if somebody wants to come to this race if you come with me i'd feel a lot better Mm -hmm. you know that's wonderful and you say oh come on running can't do that running has changed the world running has become a social revolution already North America there are more women runners than men, and those women are not they're not running to be Olympic athletes, as mm-hmm. you know cindy they're running because they're empowered mm-hmm. and the same as in Canada France, Japan you look at the, you as a runner yourself understand the Kenyan women runners look what, look what they have done mm-hmm. they have ch- changed their status from third class people to esteemed revered people in their communities the women who have been lucky enough to get out with and run and come back with prize money are building schools and inoculating kids. That changes the social fabric. So, you know, you change women, you change the world. And I sincerely believe the 261 Fearless is going to do that. It's amazing. It's
1: incredible to hear about the genesis of that basically coming from the community and and you being in that prime position to to see that and, and realize all of these big goals. It's
3: scary though. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's really scary. You know, when we started forming this nonprofit, I was 68 years old and I sat down with my team and I said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm too old to start another revolution. They said, no, 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 we can do it. We can do it. And I have a wonderful team of women who are like between 40 and 52 who are the core people. They're at the top of their game. They want a legacy. They're going to make it happen. They're full of passion. And when I cross the finish line, I think we're going to talk about this. You know, I ran the Boston Marathon again yeah. for my 50th anniversary. And when I crossed that finish line, what I felt like I had done is passed the torch to the next 50 years. It was a great feeling. Because I kept saying, you guys, I'm not going to be around in the next 50 years. you got to understand. Mm. And it's hard for me because I didn't even realize I was 70. You know, <laughs> I kept saying, I'm not 70, I'm 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were with me 125 women who... Ran in Boston and raised substantial money for the launch of 261 Fearless, the global launch essentially, Mm -hmm. who are full of passion and said, you know what, it's in good hands. It's
1: amazing to think about the arc of your story from a woman, almost not a lone woman, but a lone woman with a personal goal that was always bigger than you, but still, you know, to kind of being a part of a committed group of pioneers who worked to, to make things like the Olympic marathon happen to now being basically like the leader of a movement. And so it's fascinating to hear that motivation for you of that idea of passing the, the torch, because I do wonder how your drive and motivation
3: changes through the years. And I also wonder if you still
1: feel like you have something to prove.
3: Yeah, I, it's not that I have something to prove because I know running works. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, I just say it. it works. It works all the time. What I have, unfortunately, I guess, is this huge sense of responsibility. If you have the vision to see an, an inequality and you walk by it and you don 't pick it up and, and do something, then I think you're doomed, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have to do that, and that 's why I kept saying to the team i don't want to do this i would, don't i mean i 'm too too old for another revolution." And they said, "No, no, no, we'll handle this, you know. And thank God, because you know I'm just I'm too disorganized personally to, to really make a, a, another global program go. But they are wonderful, and I have the voice and the vision and can see the direction. So, as long as I'm able, I you know will continue to do this. But yeah, the I do have that sense of responsibility, and sometimes you know you go to bed at night and you think, Wow, do I have the energy to carry on? And so far, so good. <laughs> 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 you know what's great, though, is running gives it back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been running pretty hard lately, and that running, and pe- people said, don't you get tired from the running? I said, no, the running actually refreshes me mm-hmm. because the running relieves the stress and gives the, the creative process.
1: hmm hmm I know that to be true. That is for sure. So uh, the other big question we ask on We Got Goals is about uh, a goal you have for the future and how you intend to get there. And, you know, you talked about this idea of, of starting the movement and passing the torch, but, you know, whether it's a, it's a goal for, that you'd like to see happen with 261 Fearless or a personal goal of yours, you know, what would you say
3: is, is in the future? You know, the darndest thing about having a goal is once you achieve it, you get, wow, I did that, and then you look around and you... Like any athlete, let's say you finally break three hours in a marathon, as an example. You say, Mm -hmm. wow. Then you look around, you see people who are running like 218. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You say, oh, I have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, do I have some more personal goals? Of course, 261 and its success in changing women's lives is a huge goal of mine. But there are other goals. I have personal goals. I mean, there's some broad ones, like making women aware of taking control of their own health, of of working with companies that, that also help people... Um, like I'm working with Humana, for instance, in in letting people know that we're on the verge of another threshold, another revolution, uh, which is aging,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: that people, uh, you know, at 60, 65, think they need to sit down uh, and take it easy when the opposite is the case, and they need to know that the more they, more activity that they can embrace, that the better their health is going to be. This is true with my work with Go Red for Women, the American Heart Association, and letting women know that the heart disease is your number one killer, and yet you can prevent 45% of your cases of heart condition, heart disease by simple exercise, not a marathon, a walk every day. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things are, are val- so important for me to get out there. Personally, on a personal goal, i got to write another book. Mm. And, you know, Marathon Woman ended essentially in 1984, and it uh, was always proposed as a uh, two-volume book. The publisher said, even Bill Clinton can do it in one. So I had to shelve that and end it at 84, thinking maybe that that was the culmination of my career, but it wasn't. So Mm. now we have a whole other book about the evolution and the revolution of these women and health. And then the next goal, I would think personally, is frankly, I'm fascinated with being older and running. Running the Boston Marathon 50 years after I first did my first one, of, and, and which made me the first woman in history to run a marathon 50 years after she ran her first one, <laughs> which is not testimony to my greatness, trust <laughs> me. <laughs> it's testimony to how few women ran 50 mm-hmm. years ago. It's going to be commonplace mm-hmm. soon. And there are plenty of women who are 70, 80, even 90 years old who are running marathons, which is wonderful to see. So I've enjoyed running Boston. And in a a moment of hypoxia and delusion, I said, I'm in great shape. I'll run New York. I ran New York again last year, Mm -hmm. 43 years after I won it. And people, hundreds coming by and just slapping you on the back saying, way to go. Now I'm running London on April 22nd. Mm -hmm. I'm not in nearly as good a shape, but that's okay. London's just for fun. But I helped create that race in many ways, and I've always wanted to run it. And I'll run Berlin again. I've run it before, but I'll run Berlin again in September. And then maybe I'll do something, you know, you know, like cliche, like run the big six. And I, I'll put this out there, but I don't want my husband to hear it, which is I've always wanted to run comrades. I've heard about that race and applied f- to for a sponsor to help me with it in 1966, even when I was training for Boston I heard about Comrades, and I said, I know I can do that. And so I went to a sponsor and asked if they would send me. And of course, they thought I was smoking poppy. (laughs) And (laughs) And so it's gone by the wayside. All these years, and it's kind of rankled me. It's kind of been in the back of my mind. I'd oh, like to try that. Gosh. Wow!
1: And for those of our listeners who don't know, Comrades is a very famous ultra marathon in South Africa. That's uh, some years uphill, some years downhill. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know which one. one I'll take. You know, yeah.
3: sometimes downhill is harder than uphill, uh-huh. especially as you get older. Yeah,
1: for sure.
3: But for right now, the wheels haven't fallen off, and how grateful I am, because my husband Roger Robinson, one of the one of the Greatest runners in the world, actually, for many, many years. You know, his had now double knee replacements, transformed thinking about actually running on them because mm-hmm. he ran very, very well on the first one, and now he's struggling with the second one. We'll see what happens. You know, you know, we're hoping for a miracle here, and yeah. um, but but science is changing amazingly. But I don't know if the wheels do fall off, or if they will. But let's go right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait. <laughs>
1: Well, we will be watching you every step. I know. So tell me, you mentioned where the website for 261 Fearless. How else can people follow you and keep tabs on the important work that you're doing?
3: Well, I mean, I I have somebody do Facebook for me and Twitter and stuff because, you know, I'm so technophobic and idiotic with that (laughs) stuff, you know, and I don't have time. I mean, I get hundreds of emails a day. So, so I have somebody do that. And so it's not huge, but, you know, I'm on Facebook. But really, I think the best thing for them to, and they can always go to my website, marathonwoman.com, real Mm -hmm. easy to remember. But I really would love them to consider becoming a friend of 261 Fearless, and that's, again, 261fearless.org, or starting a club in their community. And all that information is on the site, so, so tune in there. That's, that would be the best thing. And the last thing I'd really like people to do is support in their own communities things that give kids opportunities. My life was changed by a dad who told me to run a mile a day, and like here in Chicago, the Midtown Educational Foundation is doing great things for kids. Everybody has something in their own community. And if you don't, why don't you create it? That
1: is an inspirational call to action for us all. Well, I can't thank you enough, Catherine, for joining us today. And thanks to the Midtown Educational Foundation for bringing you here. And um, I'm just so
3: grateful. Thanks for your time. You're welcome, Cindy. Thanks for all you do. Here yeah, I sit, will be on the floor i'll be back i'm just reaching for a goal so don't be this
1: podcast is produced by me cindy kuzma and like so much else in life it is better with friends you can share it with yours by telling them about it or by subscribing yourself wherever you get your podcasts and then leaving us a rating or a review while you're there special thanks to jay mono for our theme music to our guests this week katherine switzer and to tech nexus for the recording studio